welcome back to the Past and Present Podcast. This is Kim Groves, hoping you have been having a wonderful week. I also hope you have had a chance to more deeply explore the story of Deborah. Today, we will be discussing the discovery of a new monumental temple in Judah. Our source material is from the January-February 2020 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. The article is, is titled, Another Temple in Judah, by Shua Kislevitz and Oded Lipschitz. In 2012, an amazing discovery was made at Tel Moza, about four miles southwest of Jerusalem. It was a temple that stood, operated, and welcomed worshipers throughout most of the Iron Age II, from about 900 BCE until its demise sometime around 600 BCE. How could this temple exist right outside Jerusalem when the only temple mentioned is one temple in Jerusalem? When the original excavators located the site in 2009, they labeled it as a royal granary that supplied Jerusalem. Archaeologists who rediscovered the site in 2012 and conducted more in-depth study were hesitant to label it as a temple as well. However, an analysis of both archaeological finds and biblical texts shows the temple at Mosa conforms to ancient Near Eastern religious conventions and to biblical descriptions of cult places throughout the land. It is clear that temples like the one at Mosa had to exist as a part of the sanctioned religious construct. It was an exception that proved the rule. Now, even though King Hezekiah and King Josiah both instituted religious reforms as referenced in 2 Kings chapter 18, 2 Kings chapter 23, 2 Chronicles chapters 29 through 31, and 2 Chronicles chapters 34 through 35, there were sanctioned temples in Judah in addition to the official temple in Jerusalem. Both Kislevitz and Lipschitz both believe that the discovery of the temple and the exploratory excavations conducted there between 1993 and 2013 produced many avenues to explore and study uh, the cult and state formation in Judah during the Iron Age II period. Now, this is the same period Solomon's temple stood. So the official temple we will be referring to would be Solomon's temple. Now, these exploratory digs unearthed enough questions that they returned to fully investigate the temple complex. Archaeologists were able to return to Telmosa in 2018 after construction of a highway that prompted the initial excavations were complete. Work began clearing the enormous backfill of sand that covered and protected the site. Excavation under the earliest floor exposed a cultic structure that predated the temple complex and dates to the 10th century BCE. Now, based on this, the temple can be confidently dated to the early 9th or possibly late 10th century BCE. It's also obvious the site shows continuity and function, both administrative and cultic, from the early stages of the Iron II period. At the time of this article, two additional digs were planned, both for the spring of 2020 and 2021. However, one wonders if the global coronavirus pandemic put a hold on these plans. Now, the long-term plan is to excavate the additional parts of the early cultic structure. The discoveries so far have fundamentally changed the way we understand the religious practice of the Judaites.
Climatically, Telmosa is surrounded by both water and fertile soil, making it ideal for settlement and agriculture. Five seasons of salvage excavations from 1993 to 2013, talk about sporadic, revealed artifacts from the pre-pottery Neolithic period through modern times. The most expansive remains date to the Iron II period. Now, aside from the temple, most of the Iron II features were for granary storage. There were dozens of silos and parts of two storage buildings. Now, one of these buildings contained more than 100 storage jars in a single room. Five silos also date from the Iron IIA period, with one silo physically sealed by the temple that was later built over it. From this, we can conclude the site functioned as an administrative and economic center prior to the construction of the temple. The remaining silos date from the 8th century BCE, indicating substantial economic growth in this period. The addition of storage buildings, which replaced some of the silos in the Iron II BC period, shows increased use and industrialization of the site. This also mirrors a surge in construction, demonstrating increased demographic and economic growth throughout Judah. De increased demographic and economic growth also leads to increased religious growth. As people become more economically stable, they're able to expand their study and their worship practices. This administrative and functional development highlights Moses' centrality in the region. This development is how we should view the construction of the temple at Telmosa. Now, what do we know about the actual temple? Unsurprisingly, if you've been following along with us the last several weeks, it was the typical long-room Syrian-type temple common in the region during this period. As we have been discussing, the rectangular or long-room style had become the norm in the region, from Hazar to Tel Tayanat to Andara, and our penultimate example, the Temple of Solomon. In the specific case of Telmosa, there was much erosion in the southern part of the portico, but the assumption is that the building was symmetrical. One side had a wall between 5 and 8 feet wide that served as a retaining wall against the slope. The remaining walls were about 3 feet wide. The northern and eastern walls were lined with benches built of fieldstone. The measured dimensions are 62 by 43 feet, but this does not include the width of an additional chamber which may have existed to the south, since we aren't sure if it actually did exist. We don't want to count that as part of a temple. Parts of two different types of floors were located. One was a packed earth and plaster floor near the entrance, and at a higher elevation, a fragmented stone pavement floor. Five field stones, probably serving as some kind of sacred stones, had intentionally been placed on the plaster floor. The absence of an earlier floor under the stone floor indicates the plaster and stone floors were contemporary. In other words, no floor below these floors indicates these were the floors. Additionally, the higher floor can be viewed as an architecturally designed ascension. As one progresses to the Holy of Holies, one physically steps higher and higher, the concept being you're actually walking towards heaven. While there was no partition wall found, the variation of the floor's composition offers a distinction between the front chamber and the Holy of Holies. 
As far as the courtyard is concerned, it had a packed earth floor. An altar is prominently featured and a refuse pit and other installations were found. The altar, built of rough field stones, measured about four and a half feet by four and a half feet. The refuse pit measured about six feet by four feet and was filled with earth, ash, pottery sherds, and a large amount of bones, mostly sheep and goats, mostly burned, and some with butchery marks. This makes sense, because as this was probably a disposal pit associated with ritual sacrifice. <coughs> Excuse me. The courtyard also contained a podium. An assembly of cult artifacts and pottery sherds were located. Some of the artifacts found were four figurines, chalice fragments, stands, and pendants. These artifacts had been intentionally broken, deposited, and covered with earth. Now, the podium probably served in the rituals that took place in the courtyard. Now, the temple was understood to be the literal house of God, but the courtyard was a place all people could go. The temple architecture, artifacts, morphology, and typology, and iconography all conform to the religious traditions of the ancient Near East. It is also interesting to note that the Iron 2A period was formative, with new political entities emerging in the region. Since the temple also operated as a granary, the economic significance is clear. The economic and administrative functions were the very reason the temple existed. Religion and economy have always been linked, leading to the growth of a religious elite class. Well, I think that's about includes our time today. Again, today's discussion was taken from the article Another Temple in Judah by Shua Kislevitz and Oded Lipschitz. It appeared in the January-February 2020 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. You can read the article in its entirety at www.baslibrary.org. Join us Monday when we will be discussing what we can learn from Ruth and Naomi. As always, I enjoy hearing from you. I can be reached at kimg.pastandpresentpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at podcast underscore past. Finally, find more great devotionals and inspiration on our two Facebook pages, Rebirth Network and Rebirth Encouraged, both with a purple heart between the words. Again, this is Kim Groves, hoping you stay blessed and unstressed and unbothered by the rest. God bless.